Hello, and welcome to Sleep with Sherlock, where we'll be reading the classic detective novels of Sherlock Holmes as quietly as possible. I want to make sure that everyone is safe, so if you're wearing headphones, please try wireless. Find yourself a nice comfy spot and prepare for our first trip to Victorian London. I've loved these stories since I was a kid, and I cannot wait to go on this journey with you. Today will be part one of The Adventure of the Noble Bachelor by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Let's begin. The Lord St. Simon marriage and its curious termination have long ceased to be the subject of interest in those exalted circles in which the unfortunate bridegroom moves. Fresh scandals have eclipsed it and their more piquant details have drawn the gossips away from this four-year-old drama. As I have reason to believe, however, that the full facts have never been revealed to the general public, and as my friend Sherlock Holmes had a considerable share in clearing the matter up, I feel no memoir of him and would be complete without some little sketch of this remarkable episode. It was a few weeks before my own marriage, during the days when I was still sharing rooms with Holmes in Baker Street. Then he came home from one afternoon stroll to find a letter on the table waiting for him. I had remained indoors all day, for the weather had taken a sudden turn to rain with high autumnal winds and that Gisele bullet which I had brought back in one of my limbs as a relic of my Afghan campaign throbbed with dull persistence. With my body in one easy chair and my legs up on another, I had surrounded myself with a cloud of newspapers until at last, saturated with the news of the day, I tossed them all aside and lay listless, watching the huge crest and monogram upon the envelope upon the table and wondered lazily who my friend noble correspondent could be. Here is a very fashionable epistle, I remarked as I entered. Your morning letters, if I remember right, were from a fishmonger and a tide waiter. Yes, my correspondence has certainly the charm of variety, he answered, smiling. And the humbler we are usually, the more interesting. This looks like one of those unwelcome social summonses which call upon a man either to be bored or to lie. He broke the seal and glanced over the contents. Oh, come it may prove to be something of interest after all. Not social then? No, distinctly professional. And from a noble client? One of the highest in England. My dear fellow, I congratulate you. I assure you, Watson, without affectation, that the status of my client is a matter of less moment to me than the interest of his case. It is just possible, however, that that also may not be wanting in this new investigation. You have been reading those papers diligently as of late, have you not? It looks like it, I said ruefully, pointing to a huge bundle in the corner. I have had nothing else to do. It is fortunate, for you will perhaps be able to post me up 
I read nothing except the criminal news and the agony column. The latter is always instructive, but if you have followed recent events so closely, you must have read about the Lord St. Simon and his wedding. Oh yes, with the deepest of interests. That is, well, the letter which I hold in my hand is from Lord St. Simon. I will read it to you, and in return, you must turn over these papers and let me have whatever bears upon the matter. This is what he says. My dear Sherlock Holmes, Lord Blackwater tells me that I may place implicit reliance upon your judgment and discretion. I have determined, therefore, to call upon you and to consult you in reference to the very painful event which has occurred in connection with my wedding. Mr. Lestrade of Scotland Yard is acting already in this matter, but he assures me that he sees no objection to your cooperation and that he even thinks it might be of some assistance. I will call at four o'clock in the afternoon and should you have any other engagement at that time, I hope that you will postpone it as this matter is of paramount importance. Yours faithfully, St. Simon. It is dated from Grosvenor's Mansions, written with a quill pen, and the noble lord has had the misfortune to get the smear of ink upon the outer side of his right little finger, remarks Holmes as he folded up the epistle. He says four o'clock. It is three now. He will be here in an hour. Then I have just time, with your assistance, to get clear upon the subject. Turn over those papers and arrange the extracts in their order of time, while I take a glance as to who our client is. He picked a red-covered volume from the line of books of reference beside the mantelpiece. Here he is, he said, sitting down and flattening out upon his knee. Lord Robert Walshingham, the fear, St. Simon, second son of the Duke of Balmoral, Hump, arms, sir, three cow drops in chief over a fess sable, born in 1846. He is 41 years of age, which is mature for marriage, was undersecretary for the colonies in the late administration. The Duke, his father, was at one time secretary for foreign affairs. They inherit Plantagenet blood by direct descendant by direct descent and tutor of the distaff side. Ah, well, there is nothing very intrusive in all of this. I think that I must turn to you, Watson, for something more solid. I have very little difficulty in finding what I want, said I, for the facts are quite recent, and the matter struck me as remarkable. I feared to refer them to you, however, as I knew that you had an inquiry on hand and that you disliked the intrusion of other matters. Oh, you mean the little problem of the Grosvenor Square furniture van? That is quite cleared up now, though, indeed, it, it was obvious from the first. Pray, give me the results of your newspaper selections. Here is the first notice which I can find. It is in the personal column of the Morning Post and dates, as you see, some weeks back. A marriage has been arranged. It says, 
and will, if rumor is correct, very shortly take place between Lord Robert St. Simon, second son of the Duke of Balmoral, and Miss Hattie Duran, the only daughter of Alaris Duran Esquire of San Francisco, California, USA. That is all. First to the point, person to the point, remarked Holmes, stretching his long, thin legs towards the fire. There was a paragraph amplifying this in one of society's papers of the same week. Ah, here it is. There will soon be a call for protection in the marriage market, where the present free trade principle appears to tell heavily against our home product. One by one, the management of the noble houses of Great Britain is passing into the hands of our fair cousins from across the Atlantic. An important addition has been made during the last week to the list of prizes which have been borne away by these charming invaders. Lord St. Simon, who has shown himself for over 20 years, proof against the little god's arrows, has now definitively announced his approaching marriage with Miss Hattie Duran, the fascinating daughter of the California millionaire. Miss Duran, whose graceful figure and striking face attracted much attention at the Westbury House festivities, is an only child, and it is currently reported that her dowry will run to considerably over six figures, which expectancies for the future. As it is an open secret to the Duke of Balmoral, has been compelled to sell his pictures within the last few years, and as Lord St. Simon has no property of his own save the small estate of Birchmore, it is obvious that the California heiress is not the only gainer by an alliance with which will enable her to make easy and common transition from a Republican lady to a British peeress. Anything else? asked Holmes, yawning. Ah, yes, plenty. Then there is another note in the Morning Post to say that the marriage would be an absolutely quiet one that this would be at St. George's Hanover Square. That only half a dozen inmate intimate friends would be invited and that the party would return to the furnished house at Lancaster Gate, which has been taken by Mr. Aliosis Duran two days later. That is on Wednesday last. There is a curt announcement that the wedding had taken place and that the honeymoon would be passed at Lord, Backwater, Lord Backwater's place near Petersfield. There are all those notices which appear before the disappearance of the bride. Before the what? asked Holmes with a start. The vanishing of the lady. When did she vanish then? At the wedding breakfast. Indeed. There is more interesting, indeed, this is more interesting than it promised to be, quite dramatic, in fact. Yes, it struck me as being a little out of the common. They often vanish before the ceremony and occasionally during the honeymoon, but I cannot call to mind anything quite so prompt as this. Pray, let me have the details. I warn you that they are very incomplete. Perhaps we may make them less so. Such as they are, they are set forth in a single article of the morning paper of yesterday, which I will read to you. It is headed, Singular Occurrence at a Fashionable Wedding. 
The family of Lord Robert St. Simon has been thrown into the greatest consternation by the strange and painful episode which have taken place in the connection with this wedding. The ceremony, as shortly announced in the papers of yesterday, occurred on the previous morning, but it is only now that it has been possible to confirm the strange rumors which have been so persistently floating about. In spite of attempts of the friends to hush the matter up, so much public attention has now been drawn to it that no good purpose can be served by affecting to disregard what is common subject to disregard what is a common subject for conversation. The ceremony, which was performed at St. George's Hanover Square, was a very quiet one. No one being present save the father of the bride, Mr. Olysius Doran, the Duchess of Balmoral, Lord Backwater, Lord Eustace, and Lady Clara St. Simon, the younger brother and sister of the bridegroom, and Lady Alicia Whittington. The whole party proceeded afterwards to the house of Mr. Olysius Doran at Lancaster Gate, where breakfast had been prepared. It appears that some little trouble was caused by a woman whose name has not been ascertained, who's endeavored to force her way into the house after the bridal party, alleging that she had some claim upon Lord St. Simon. It was only after the painful and prolonged scene that she was ejected by the butler and the footman. The bride, who had fortunately entered the house before this unpleasant interruption, had sat down to breakfast with the rest, when she complained of a sudden indisposition and retired to her room. Her prolonged absence having caused some comment, her father followed her but learned from her maid that she had only come up to her chamber for an instant, caught up an ulster and a bonnet, and hurried down to the passage. One of the footmen declared that he had seen a lady leave the house, thus apparelled, but had refused to credit that it was his mistress, believing her to be with the company. On ascertaining that his daughter had disappeared, Mr. Olysseus Doran, in conjunction with the bridegroom, instantly put themselves in communication with the police, and a very energetic inquiries are being made, which will probably result in a speedy clearing up of this very singular business. Up to the late hour last night, however, nothing had transpired as to the whereabouts of the missing lady. There are rumors of foul play in the matter, and it is said that the police have caused the arrest of a woman who had caused the original disturbance and believed that, from jealousy or some other motive, that she may have been concerned in the strange disappearance of the bride. And is that all? Only one little item in another of the morning papers, but it's a suggestive one. And it is. That Miss Flora Miller, the lady who had caused the disturbance, had actually been arrested it appears that she was formerly a Donisu at the Allegro. Dansus. It appears that she was formerly a Dansus at the Allegro and that she has known the bridegroom for some years. 
there are no other further particulars and the whole case is in your hands now so far as it's been set forth in the public press and an exceedingly interesting case it appears to be i would not have missed it for the worlds but there is a ring at the bell watson and as the clock makes it a few minutes after four i have no doubt that this will prove to be our noble client do not dream of going watson for i very much prefer of having a witness if only as to check my memory lord robert st simon announced our page boy throwing open the door a gentleman entered with a pleasant cultured face high nose and pale with something perhaps of petulance about the mouth and with the steady well-opened eye of a man whose pleasant lot it had ever been to command and to be obeyed his manner was brisk and yet his general appearance gave an undue impression of age for he had a slight forward stoop and a little bend of the knees as he walked his hair too as he swept off his very curly brimmed hat was grizzled around the edges and thin upon the top as to his dress it was careful the verge of foppishness with high collar black frock coat white waistcoat yellow gloves patent leather shoes and a light colored gaiters he advanced slowly into the room turning his head from left to right and swinging in his right hand the cord which held his golden eyeglasses good day lord saint simon said holmes rising and bowing pray take the basket chair this is my friend and colleague dr watson draw up a little to the fire and we will talk this matter over a most painful matter to me as you can most readily imagine mr holmes i have been cut to the quick i understand that you have already managed several delicate cases of this sort sir though i presume that they were hardly from the same class of society no i am descending i beg pardon my last client of the sort was a king oh really i i had no idea which king the king of scandinavia what he had lost his wife you can understand said holmes suavely that i extend to the affairs of my other clients the same secrecy which i promised to you and yours of course very right very right i'm sure i beg pardon as to my own case i am ready to give you any information which may assist you in forming an opinion thank you i have already learned all that is in the public prints nothing more i presume that i may take it as correct this article for example as to the disappearance of the bride lord st simon glanced over it yes it is correct as far as it goes but it needs a great deal of supplementing before anyone can offer an opinion i think i might arrive at my facts most directly by questioning you pray do so when did you first meet miss hattie durant in san francisco a year ago you were traveling in the states yes did you become engaged then no but you were on a friendly footing i was amused by her society and she could see that i was amused her father is very rich 
He is said to be the richest man in the Pacific Slope. And how did he make his money? In mining? He had nothing a few years ago. Then he struck gold, invested it, and came up leaps and bounds. Now what is your own impression as to the young lady's, your wife's character? The nobleman swung his glasses a little faster and stared down into the fire. You see, Mr. Holmes, said he, my wife was 20 before her father became a rich man. During that time, she ran free in a mining camp and wandered through the woods or mountains so that her education has come from nature uh, rather than schoolmaster. She is what we call in England a tomboy with a strong nature, wild and free, unfettered by any sort of traditions. She is impetuous, volcanic, I was about to say. She is swift in making up her mind and fearless in carrying out her resolutions. On the other hand, I would not have given her the name which I have the honor to bear. He gave a little stately cough had I not thought her to be at the bottom of a noble woman. I believe that she is capable of heroic self-sacrifice and that anything dishonorable would be repugnant to her. Have you her photograph? I brought this with me. He opened a locket and showed us the full face of a very lovely woman. It was not a photograph, but an ivory miniature and the artist had brought out the full effect of the lustrous black hair and the large dark eyes and the exquisite mouth. Holmes gazed long and earnestly at it, and he closed the locket and handed it back to Lord St. Simon. And that's where we're gonna call it for now, squad. Thank you for listening to Sleep with Sherlock, and I hope you enjoyed the reading of The Adventure of the Noble Bachelor by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Please join me next time for another chapter of this timeless classic. Until then. <laughs>